1: Today on Barca Talk, Umtiti is returning, or is he? Either way, we have a new centre-back on loan from Valencia. Meanwhile, the Barca women have finished this half of the season unbeaten in the league, and for the first team in La Liga, Messi, Dembele, and Alba put together a solid defeat of Celta de Vigo. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. This is Brian Henderson coming to you from Buffalo, New York and joining me as always from Madrid, Spain is Gabriel Quiroga. Happy Holidays my brother.
0: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. Feliz Navidad uh-huh. as well.
1: Yes. Estoy muy feliz.
0: <laughs> Your Spanish is amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so Merry Christmas. We're recording this right before Christmas. We're going to have a little bit of a winter break and yeah, so we we're going to talk about a little bit about the Celta match, but First of all, what do you got planned for Christmas?
1: Well, you know that uh, Megan and I are just going to stay here in Buffalo because we're flying out to California in later in January for our wedding thing, our wedding-themed party uh, that we're holding at the uh, brewery I used to work at. So we're just uh, laying low for the holiday itself, staying in Buffalo for Christmas. And I know that you have plans to get out of your flat, get out of your neighborhood for the holiday, so... You know, we might make this a slightly short episode so that you can, um, you know, get on a bus or a train or whatever.
0: Well, yeah, I'm going to my cousin's house who lives in the suburbs of Madrid, but I'm not going till tomorrow. So,
1: oh, okay, we can make <laughs> this sin as prisa. long as we want.
0: Yeah, sin prisa, <laughs> sin prisa, right? Without a rush, you know. So, yeah, I'm going over there for a couple of nights, and that should be good. And the rest of the time, it's gonna be hanging out and relaxing and enjoying my vacation here in Madrid.
1: Yeah. So, you know, speaking of my Spanish, I've really been working on my, my Spanish accent uh, without sacrificing my California accent. Mm. So I've been cultivating certain phrases, sort of Spanglish phrases like, oh, K-random <laughs> or <laughs> muy-random.
0: <laughs> wow, you're, you're going to do really well here in Barcelona.
1: Yeah, I'm going to get around <laughs> so well remember the last time I was there, I, I, every time I was speaking Spanish, I felt like I was just hanging on by my fingernails to get through a conversation. But I was successful a couple of times. Like at the La of Familia, I was like trying to understand what the deal was with our tickets and like we could go in, but we couldn't go up into the tower until a certain time. And I was just like mining the depths of my brain to find the right words to clarify this situation but I, I try to make it a point to, you know, be as as a, as Spanish sounding as I can. So, you know, I say things like Nicaragua, and <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm working on. It's a project I'm, I have going right now.
0: <laughs> very, very nice, very nice, Ryan. <laughs> I think I, you know, like like when people always ask me what's the most important phrases here in Spain, you know, obviously the most important instead of saying cerveza, eso is caña. You know, that's that's the most important. Because here, they, if you say cerveza, they'll know you're a tourist more. So the canya is the beer from the tap. So always remember that. That's the most important.
1: Oh, okay. That's the beer yeah. from the tap, and that's so that's, that's not just a half beer. That also means that it's well, from
0: the a... yeah. Well, the, the caña is a small beer, right? And then the doble is twice that. Mm. So, but if you get those, especially here in Madrid, they'll give you the tapas for free. But if you ask for the cerveza, they'll give you a bottle of beer, and they won't give you the tapas because they know you're not expecting it. <laughs> OK, well, so, now I know what to expect. Exactly. Oh. So it's very important. Ganya or Doble. Those are the two most important.
1: OK. Yeah. Well, that's going to come in handy in April when correct. we're there in Barcelona. That is correct. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into some Barcelona news. We have a couple of things to talk about. Three things, actually. Two of them Barcelona related. One of them not so much. First up, I got this news alert from the club on my phone this morning, and I imagine anyone with the FCB app might have gotten it, telling me that Umtiti will return on December 30th. The club says, quote, he will continue rehabilitating his knee under a conservative treatment plan. So my what first thought on this, what, yeah, what is that? <laughs> my, my thought on this is there's something about this that's just delaying the inevitable correct like he's correct. gonna get surgery it's just a question yeah. of when and they're just yeah. trying to see if they can keep his knee and if they can just I don't know patch him up or whatever to yeah. get him to play maybe once or twice before that happens but it's it, it just seems to be like an increasing certainty to me that he's gonna have surgery
0: I mean you would hope the, the club learned something from the whole Puyol knee saga that happened with the last three years of his career where he opted not to have surgery, and then waited, and then tried to gut it out, and then eventually had surgery, and then retired. You know that that's what we don't want to happen with MTT, right? And you know I know that you know surgery is a major thing. It doesn't matter if they say minor or major, right? But with this process, I mean, you know if he would have gone under the knife a month and a half ago or two months ago, who knows if he comes back maybe in March stronger without pain, and we can still have him for the rest of the season. You know he's been in Qatar doing these aggressive therapies and now he's going back to barcelona for more conservative so to me that just tells me they don't have an answer that Umtiti doesn't want to have surgery, and he wants to gut it out. But again, if he is not available for us, then, you know, thank God we have this signing that we just signed. But also that's going to require much more game time for PK in Longley.
1: Yeah, and the only difference that I would say between Puyol and Umtiti at this point is that Umtiti is only 25. He's still young, whereas Puyol was already, you know, edging towards that stage of his career where he would retire. And But at the same time, everything else about it is basically the same. That they, they seem to keep pushing it off. And it's like, when what is the opportune time to have a surgery that's going to have you out for five or six months? I mean, do they want to try and somehow maximize this over the summer break or what? Because I, it, it seems like they're in denial or there's some master plan. And I don't really trust that the uh, the club has that much foresight. So I imagine it's just denial.
0: <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you have to look at it as a long plan, right? Um, TT is going to be in our team for a long time. So what is six months now compared to five years, right? That's how you have to look at it, especially a player from TT's caliber. So for me, I would like him to have the surgery now so that he's not pain. You know, he's not, doesn't have that pain playing and he's more comfortable. And for the long run, he's able to do that. Now I'm just saying that as a fan from this point of view, he wants to play you know, as much as possible and to get in as much playing time. So I understand that as well, but the club should really take a stance and just try to say, look, we need to have surgery. We want you on the club for the long term. This is, uh, you know, hopefully with the procedure it alleviates the pain and then you'll be able to perform at a higher level going forward.
1: Exactly. So, you know, it's just going to be another one of those, uh, frustrating situations. I just get, I can't help but feel like we're going to keep getting these news updates. Like, Oh, we're, he's going to play one game and then, Oh, now we're doing some more treatment on his knee. And then a few weeks will pass. He'll play one more game. I mean, that's the thing. Why not just do the surgery now? You know you're going to be out for five to six months. It's, you know, it's a known thing. And you know that you're going to be stronger and better when you come back. Just do it. Just And you know, you know that you're going to be out for a period of time rather than this treatment and will I play won't I play you know you're you're just toying with everyone's emotions including your own
0: yeah it's a good point and I would say you would take this very serious when he starts to train fully with the team when that happens then you can say okay he's able to gut it out he'll be fine but until then all these reports that you're reading about his knee and so forth just be prepared that one day or you know one day we'll get a, uh, a news flash saying that he's going for surgery yeah so, and until he practices fully with the team, expect that he'll have surgery.
1: Yeah and also side story from this. have you uh, updated the FCB app on your phone? Yes, I have. They have this whole new version it's uh, it's really yeah. really sleek. it's even it functions even better than the last one, which was already a big step up from the one they had before. I'm really digging yes. the new website and the new FCB app.
0: Yeah, it's definitely nice. It's very streamlined, especially when you get the squad updates. I like that as well. And also the ability that you can listen to it on the radio, on the app too as well. So it's also a nice thing because sometimes if you, if I don't get home in time to watch the game, I can at least start listening to it until I get home, which yeah. is a nice feature for sure.
1: Yeah. Now, something that you uh, mentioned a minute ago, and this is our next news item, is how um, we signed a deal with Valencia to take center back Jason Murillo on loan through next June. And Sport reported that Valencia got uh, two million euro for the loan and Barcelona are also going to pay his wages in full. And there's probably the option to buy at the end of the loan term.
0: Yeah. So when I first saw this, I didn't know who he was. Right. I was like, Jason Derulo, who the singer? <laughs> what, <what's my>
1: <laughs> <honey>? <laughs> Jason Gedrick. What? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> And because uh, when we talked on our bonus episode, he just got signed. And I remember I was watching the news, and I was and they were talking about it really loosely. And I said, "What? Well, who is this guy?" So, um, but really good signing for us because you know he's a quality player. You know, good backup. He's going to find time, especially with with Untiti's injury, and there's also going to be time available. But also, uh, which is interesting, he's always wanted to play for Barcelona. He's a tall player and I think he'll fit in nicely with our defense. And you'll probably see him in the Copa del Rey matches starting with that and then maybe getting some more playing time to spell PK because you know PK's played the whole first half. So I think this was a really good sign, especially for the price. You know, we didn't have to overpay so much uh, you know, in the twenty or thirty millions for this type of player.
1: Yeah, now the the transfer window actually hasn't even opened yet. And the club is already publicizing this pretty hard. You know, he's he was in Barcelona last week. They they made the announcement. He did the physical. He passed the physical, so he's good to go. And so they're publicizing this and marketing this really hard, complete with social media posts and having him in the stands at the Celta game on Sunday. And I just wonder, is this move meant to silence some kind of dissent among the sosis or the fans in general to show them that they're shoring up our defensive ranks because – I mean, he can't even actually sign anything until January 1st. So nothing is actually done. Everything is all in principle. It's all a handshake deal. I mean, honestly, I have to admit, I would not be shocked if this somehow fell through. Because that uh, would just be the perfect media storm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I definitely think there's some kind of, I mean, they wouldn't go through all these social media hoopla and having up the game if it wasn't for sure. There's, There's got to be some sort of commitment. I don't even know. Yeah, well, not only that, but there has to be some sort of loophole where it's already guaranteed, and the last thing that has to happen is the signature. Because we were—I was asking you—I didn't—I didn't know the transfer window was open yet, and it's not, right? I mean, that's right. the thing. So I don't know how this is. Obviously, there's some sort of really strong agreement and so forth. So, you know, I don't think it's going to fall through because they wouldn't go through this whole dance if there was a possibility of that going through not yeah. happening. So, but I definitely think it's a—you know—it's a really good opportunity for Murillo, because. He's young enough, and he's someone that could, if he wants to prove himself and he becomes a really quality backup, there's definitely a spot for him because going forward, Ramal is not going to be renewed. Now, I hope that they still sure up, maybe get another young kind of up and comer defender like this on the cheap for the rest of the season, just to sure up the defense going forward.
1: Now, in the one or two times that Chumi has played, what have you thought of him coming up from Barça B? I mean, he's still quite young, so there's he's an unknown. Whereas Murillo yeah, I mean, would- has been around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't be a bad idea either, you know, because obviously he can just be brought up. We don't have to pay anything. Obviously that sacrifices Barca B a little bit, but at the same time, you know, going forward, we want the senior team to have a strong campaign and we need another defender because just if an injury happens or just playing time, we need that to happen. And so I would, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to Chumi for sure. I I think that would be a good fit.
1: Now going back to the media aspect of this, I find it a little bit suspicious, which might be too strong a word, but a little bit suspicious that they uh, that the club has made such a media event out of this deal to get Murillo at this point, even though the transfer window hasn't even opened. So maybe that's just my own paranoia. And again, that's a strong word because, like I said, maybe it's just a thing to make some people feel a little bit better right now rather than three weeks from now, right? And that's not necessarily the biggest deal. But do you share my suspicions or do you feel like there's something going on in the back rooms or is, is there something happening in Spain that I don't know about? Some kind of stirrings amongst the crowd the, uh, the fan base, as it were? No, I think it's just your own paranoia. Okay, great. <laughs> <I'm just
0: kidding. laughs> no, but I, I, like, it's not, they're not doing anything more special than they would for another player that just got signed. So to me, it just doesn't seem that much more of a big deal. I can see from your point of view, because the window hasn't opened and the way they're doing this, maybe it seems like it's more, but you know, like to, you know, he trained with the team already. So that's the other thing to me that's showing that it's pretty much official, right? That's the thing. Mm -hmm. He trained, I think on Friday with the team. Now, you know, like you said, it could be a part of it just to quell the associates a little bit that they're trying to address the problems, but really, Brian, we have first world problems right now. You know, we're top of the league. We're playing really well. You know, the, you know, the thing that we're looking for is to sign a backup defender, you know, I mean, that's a really nice problem to have. So having this, um, you know, Jason Darillo coming in um, is a really (laughs) nice thing. And, and uh, you know, we'll see if Chumi gets the call up for that as well, because, you know, obviously with uh, Mr. Glassford Mellon, getting injured, there is a spot available for sure.
1: Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And by the way, just because I'm paranoid does not mean that you aren't out to get me. <laughs> All right, and finally, this is non-Barcelona news, uh, and, but I did want to talk about it for just a second because Real Madrid won their third consecutive club World Cup, beating Al Ain 4-1 to one in the final at in the United, Bar- United Arab Emirates. And, you know, I, I did some digging on this because... I was just curious as to how many times European clubs have won the club world cup. And it's, you know, it's such a young competition. They've only had 15 of them, but 11 out of those 15, a European team has won. And only once has a non-European club, not even not been in the final.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much a cakewalk pretty much for the, for the European teams for the most part, you know, for especially the last six seasons, especially um, with the quality of the teams of the European teams winning and going to that competition but you know here in madrid today they were woo. it's like they won la liga and champions league and all of that put together i mean they <laughs> were going nuts for this thing today on the news it was crazy so they're back baby solari's got them man they're oh, back oh
1: man yeah, <laughs> yeah so long as they just as long as they play clubs from other parts of the world yeah exactly it's basically. funny because just the the
0: perspective right i mean you know they won this competition yes it's a competition and the reason they got into it is because they won the champions league and i get that that's a that's a great accomplishment but at the same time it should just be treat i mean i don't know like when we win it or when we won it like i treated it as coma like the i don't know what's the the term at the beginning of the year the
1: the gamper the,
0: not the gamper but the what's the one the european uh like the winner of the champions league versus the winner oh yeah of the the,
1: Europe. the european super cup the Super Cup.
0: I treat it like that. Like, yeah, it's a cool trophy, but at the same time, the competition is not going to be as high as it would be in the Champions League or even the Super Cup. So it's a nice trophy to add to your resume for the year, you know. But, man, they were just going off on the news like, wow, Sergio Ramos scored the goal, and and they have this Llorente guy who got the man of the match. They're, oh, my God, Barcelona better watch out. <laughs> 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 what are you guys smoking? My God.
1: Seriously, yeah. we're, we're watching out for Atletico at this point. I know. That's I, I would say the
0: same thing, you know, and, and it's funny just to see, you know, the way the team reacts to winning that trophy. They just, you know, Real Madrid always reminds me of mercenaries. That's all they do, you know. I mean, just look at the way we celebrate our goals last night. The whole team celebrates. They actually look like they want to have beers together. And Real Madrid just always looks like, like, you have Christian Bale, he's all by himself. Modric, the best player in the world right now, you have him on the side, you know, and it's just,
1: oh my Guns God. Guns for
0: I, hire. I know, exactly. That's why I just, anyone I meet here that is a Real Madrid fan, it just always, oh my God, I, I know a lot about them personality wise.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> that they're yeah. Evil. And, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, for me, Similar to what you were saying, you know, the fact that club football is big enough to even have this tournament is great for the game that you can have a tournament amongst, you know, the champions of what's four, six, eight, I don't know, different regions all over the world. I mean, that's not going to happen with American football. That's not even going to happen with baseball, maybe basketball, but probably not even that, you know, it's so it's like it's nice for the game, but the proof is that Europe and South America still rule the game. And that's, you know, that's roughly the same conclusion that you would come from looking at any World Cup.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and I would have really liked to see River Plate get through to play Real Madrid in that final. But uh, River Plate lost in the penalties beforehand and didn't make it. So, you know, that was a big kind of upset, I guess you would say, because I think River Plate would have really given them more of a game. Uh, to Real Madrid because they're not scared of Real Madrid. I mean, that's part of the thing is in this competition, a lot of these teams are just scared of the European giants, you know, obviously because of the talent and the money and the, you know, what they, what they present to the game. And so uh, I think River Plate would have not been scared of Real Madrid and would have been able to give them a better match than this other team from the Middle East.
1: Yeah. So come on back to Spain, Real Madrid. Let's see what you got. (laughs) Bring it after the holiday. And now, keeping us up to date with the Barca women is Michelle Taylor.
2: With the winter break upon us, the Barca women wrapped up 2018 unbeaten in the Liga, the only team to do so, but they had two games to play before they could claim that honour. First up was a home game against Le who were in their first season in the Liga Iberdrola. Sitting 13th on the table, they presented more problems than expected, with a heavily defensive game plan that Barca was finding hard to beat. It took 31 minutes for us to break through and it came from a corner kick. Mata Torohon sent the ball into the box and Mapileon scored her first legal goal for the season. And that's how the first half ended. Lots of possession, but Lagronio was proving to be tougher than a macadamia nut to crack. Into the second half and Barca was still trying to find another goal at the other end of the pitch. It wasn't going to plan. Even the woodwork was against us as Vicky Lassada hit the left post and then Andres' free kick attempt did the same. Our defence also had to be on their toes, as Lagronia's tactic was to sit back with 10 players, recover the ball, and then hoof it forward to Barbara Banda, their speedy 18-year-old Zambian forward. And that almost worked for them in the second half, as Barbara broke free and was one-on-one with Sandra Panos. It took a brave Sanya to advance, and snaffle the ball off Barbara's foot to prevent her from taking the shot that would have tied up the game. As the game ground into the final minutes, we were all finally able to breathe when Claudia Pino rose to meet a Matatotohong cross and headed the ball into the goal in the 88th minute. The team then attended a midweek Christmas dinner at Nuba Restaurant. There were lots of photos of smiling happy people and in her captain's speech Vicky Lasada said that 2019 was our year. Let's hope that she's right. On to the last match before the break away to Malaga. It was also the last match in the first half of the Liga, and the team travelled on Thursday and trained in Malaga on Friday to prepare for Saturday's midday game. From kick-off, it looked as if it was going to be another game where Barca had all the intent and possession, with little reward. Malaga's goalkeeper, Englishwoman Chelsea Ashurst, is having the best season of her life. The former Barca player has been huge for her team this season. Her standout performance would have been against Valencia, where her remarkable saves kept the score at nil-all. Chelsea started this game in much the same fashion, and it took an absolute golazzo from Patry to get past her in the 17th minute. Barca continued to look sharp, pinging the ball around and keeping the Malaga defence busy, and seven minutes later they were rewarded by a second goal scored by Tony Dugan. In the second half, Lika was rewarded for her sterling work, as a Patry shot rebounded off the bar, and the Dutch woman was there to head the ball past Chelsea. In the 80th minute, Patry scored her second, another unwieldy goal as she released a shot from wide left of the net. Chelsea Ashurst could only watch it curl past her into the top right corner. Primo football. A 4-0 win means that Barca finishes the first half of the season as the only unbeaten team in the Liga. 13 wins, 2 draws and 0 losses. 50 goals scored and 6 conceded. Now it's time for a much-needed break before the team returns in the new year. And what a return it's going to be. For the first time, Basa Femini will take part in the open-door training at the Mini on January 4th, where they're expected to train on the pitch at the same time as the men's team. It's not clear if it will be a combined training or whether the two teams will train separately. I guess that we'll just have to wait and see. After the open training, both teams will visit local hospitals to distribute gifts and visit sick children. When the winter transfer window opens, it looks as if Elise Bersaglia will leave the team as she seeks more minutes than she's getting at Barcelona. She's fighting for a place in the French team for the World Cup and she needs all the minutes that she can get as she looks to impress the selectors. French media is saying that her destination is Dijon. The team could do with a couple of new players as we head into the important part of the season, but I can't see that happening. Another forward and a defender would be nice, but we'll probably look to the B team for reinforcement. Have a safe and happy holiday season, everyone. Be careful, be kind, and I'll see you in 2019. Viscabasa, Barca, e forza Barca femini.
1: That was Michelle Taylor. Follow her on Twitter at Barca Women for ongoing news and information about the women's team. All right, we're back on this holiday episode of Barca Talk, and we're going to talk about the Celta match that happened on Sunday in La Liga at the Camp Nou. It was a 2-0 win with goals from Dembele and Messi. And really, that first goal, even though Dembele got it, it... it it, it, it emanated from Messi.
0: I mean, what doesn't emanate from Messi, you know? I mean, she's...
1: <laughs> Failure. I mean, that's what yeah, doesn't exactly. emanate from Messi. Yeah. Not primo football. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Segunda football. Yeah. You know, I mean, this
0: play particularly, I would say, is our bread and butter play of attack, you know, for the season. If we take a snapshot of just the way the ball gets moved around to the left corner to Alba and Alba finding the center or the drag person coming through. Obviously Missy hits it one time, really great save by the keeper, but he left a rebound where Dembele just closed on it. And, you know, we saw this in the Classico last year. We've seen it a bunch of times this year with Alba. And to me, this has been just a career year for Alba. He's been playing out of his mind. He's such a quality left back, not only the way he tracks back on defense, but, man, how many times did you see him with his first touch where the ball just perfectly, you know, drops in with no problem? I mean, it, it's almost like Danny Alba's back in his prime in the same thing, you know? The first touch, Brian, is always so difficult. I mean, you, we've watched so much football now in the past, you know, especially since we've been doing this podcast, and the amount of players that you see whose first touch always fails them. And when you, when you see the consistency of Messi and Alba, it's incredible because it leads to so many goals and opportunities. And again, this goal which just, like you said, emanates from Messi.
1: Yeah, and actually, i was, I watched the highlights a lot uh, for that particular goal because there was a something that I noticed, particularly up until this goal, that that Barcelona changed a little bit afterwards. They weren't doing it as much. But up until this goal, I kept seeing the same thing happen. And it was really clever tactically. So uh, Dembele was sort of tucked inside in between the, the center back and the right back. And Dembele would make a run and he would bring those two with him and that would open up and he would run inside to bring the right back further in Mayo. And then that creates all this space for Alba to run into. And they kept doing that. It was like two or three times. I noticed they did this. And then finally this play happens where a similar thing happens, but also uh, I couldn't see who it was because Celta's numbers are white on light blue. And (laughs) it's very hard to make out their numbers. (laughs) But I, because I think it was a midfielder who had sort of tracked back on this goal, and he just sort of drifts in towards, kind of towards Messi as Messi comes back to get the ball. And now Alba has just all this space to work with. So he makes the run, Messi throws it out. And then you've got, you got Dembele, you got guys running into the box, and they're bringing the whole defensive line with them. That creates this pocket that Messi runs into. And Alba just cuts it back into that.
0: Yeah, it's a really great point because, you know, in the previous games, Dembele was playing on the opposite side, you know? And this just goes to the flexibility and adaptability that Dembele has, that he was put on the left side and just creating havoc, right? You know, if I were the a Celtic team, I would have tried to play more of like a zone defense where you just let Dembele and you pass him off to the next person as opposed to trailing because, as you pointed out, since they trailed with Dembele because, obviously, he's more dangerous scoring-wise – It left that that hole for Alba. And, of course, Alba is so smart that he's able to see that and take advantage of that. So, again, it's the adaptability of Dembele, him going in, bringing in. You know, if if Dembele wasn't scoring as many goals, I don't think those players track as much with him. And maybe they let Alba, you know, they cover Alba a little bit more. But since Dembele has been scoring so many goals this season, they're, you know, making – an effort to really defend him. And that just left Alba open. But again, this play for me, you know, I don't know what you want to call this play. Like the Alba messy drag middle play, play one, you know, this has been our play and bread and butter for this whole season.
1: Yeah. And I think that the comparisons with Danny Alves are starting to mount up because Alba has really stepped up in even more from last year in his, in his attacking. Uh, And I don't know, maybe this is, something that Valverde has really come up with I mean I imagine it is because of course we remember the Neymar years when Neymar was out left so much and he barely passed the ball to Alba so Alba was sort of stuck being kind of like a defender or maybe a backup winger something like that and now in these last couple of years that Neymar has been gone Alba has really stepped up and I think he's really finally getting to that point, which is funny because he's been playing for a while now, but he's, he's developed his game into this, um, this relationship with Messi, this serious attacking threat, putting crosses in not traditional crosses. Of course, every time he tries to do a traditional cross, it gets blocked or (laughs) it's not great, but the cutback, that's his move.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's always when he can pick the player out. It's just, it's, you know, it's so super accurate and it leads to a goal. But like you said, the traditional crossing is, you know, can't be all good at everything, right? So that, <laughs> that's the thing. But like you said, you know, with when Neymar was there, right, he'd always hold the ball – And do his step overs and really just kind of clog it as opposed to the pass and go. Now, like you said, I think lately, I think he's just been able to have more confidence. And especially since it's led to more goals, I think Valverde has led him to have more freedom and flexibility. You know, I don't know if when Luis Enrique was there, because of that kind of strained relationship, maybe he demanded that Alba stay more defensively and just occasionally would go up once in a while, but I think Valverde has enough confidence in Alba as we've seen this season. I mean, how many times has he done that? Maybe six, five times that led directly to goals. I mean, so he's, for me, he's having a career year, which is crazy because he's been one of the best left backs in the world for at least the last eight years. And this has definitely been his best season so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the second goal, the one that Messi did score on was almost, it wasn't an exact copy, but it was very similar, right? Busquets this time puts it out wide to Alba and Alba centers it into the space that Messi's running into, which was created by Dembele drawing Mayo and Costas down to make space for Messi to run into. You have it right,
0: though, because Dembele took two guys, Suarez took one, and since it was a transition, that's where that hole came up, and then Alba found Messi through that gap.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like the biggest problem with that play was on Celta's end, because the two defenders, they they go with Dembele, and then the other two just stay back with Messi, so there's this this terrorist effect where there's all this space for Messi to just run into and they can't keep up with him. Whereas they, the other two guys who were on Messi, they should have stayed with their line. I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. It was definitely Celta's fault for sure. I mean, you know, especially on the transition, that's always the most difficult thing to defend because you are in chaos. You know, basically you have, you're running with your back, you know, you're trying to figure out your discipline and especially with these world-class players that are, you know, that's the other thing with Barca. Like not only are players super talented physically with the ball first touches is but we're very cerebral too because alba was able to identify diagnose and within you know one to two seconds see that hole and, and automatically understand that Messi was going to fill that void and again messi's finish was just i mean you cannot get more clinical than that finish the keeper goes right to ground he just goes up i mean just <laughs> a thing of beauty from point a to point b you know
1: yeah and ruben blanco he dives to his right and messi goes to his right I mean, he faked him out entirely. Curled it the other way. It was an incredible finish. I mean, I have to say, Messi was getting a lot of curve on the ball in this game because there was a a free kick or a corner Mm -hmm. that he put in, and it didn't, it didn't, you know, they didn't score or anything. Nothing especially good came out of it. But he just got some wicked swerve on it. I just couldn't believe how much how much spin he was, how much English he was putting on on the ball in this game at times.
0: I mean, especially on that second goal, he scored at the top of the box, so gave him the maximum angle. You know, a lot of times when you get up close and you try to beat the, the keeper one-on-one, you know, you have a lot of chance of losing the ball or losing the angle, but since he was up top, it was just a really nice finish. I mean, again, you know, this first half of that we played was pretty strong, you know. Uh, Celta only had a couple opportunities, you know. Uh, I guess my only complaint, again, as always, is the corner kicks. I I, I cannot stand the short corner kicks. It drives me absolutely insane because I just feel those are wasted opportunities for really scoring opportunities that we could take advantage, especially with PK, Longlet, or Umtiti when he's in there as well. Because like I tell you, Brian, it's just so much chaos. And, you know, we always eventually win that ball back. So to me, you know, when we first installed the short corner kick, I get it. You know, I get the theory. But now it's there was a couple of times we did the short corner and we would lose the ball you know, in that because now they know what to do. But other than that, I think this first half was another strong first half. And basically, we were able to kill off the game in the first half, which is just great because Celta was trying to, you know, trying to bring it to us this this game.
1: Yeah, they did have one, speaking of corners, they did have one dangerous chance in the second half in the 77th minute on a corner kick. And Samedo did just enough. To, to close it down, that was probably their best chance, I thought.
0: Yeah, and they also had, like, another chance, too, in the second half where it was basically like a one-on-one with, with Ter Stegen, and the guy just guided. it. And, you know, it's really difficult for a team, especially when you're down 2-0, to even try to get that confidence. So I thought that was huge to get that in the first half because any tactical move, uh, adaptive, adaptation that they wanted to do weren't going to come – fruition in that second half and we you know the other thing that kind of leads me to my next point is the possession you know in this game we didn't have a high possession and so I ask you Brian do you think that's directly related to our tour not starting
1: um I think that would be a bit harsh (laughs) I mean I I think it's more a matter of our midfield and how they're operating I, I don't think it's just Arthur though I mean Arthur once he comes on you know he does do a great job of holding on to the ball, but we're just not moving the ball that the same way we used to. We're moving it in different ways that sort of create a little bit more of a sacrifice of possession and it seems like Valverde's okay with that he he's He's not as possession focused as previous managers, and maybe well, certainly not as as much as Pep, right? I think maybe he just wants to maintain enough possession to keep everyone happy. But I don't think that Valverde is especially possession-focused. So I think it's it's not a question of Arthur or whoever. It's a question of who's managing.
0: Well, I, I definitely think it's directly relatable to that because I just think that when he's in there, he's able to hold the ball just a little bit more, make the passes going backwards and kind of moving the team a little bit. Now, I'm not trying to get a possession of 95%. I'm not saying that. But, you know, with the 52, I think that's a little too close, especially, you know, if we're playing a different team that has a better um, attacking ratio, you know, or better forwards, then all of a sudden that, that becomes a 2-1 game or a 2-2 game. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I just want a little bit more possession. I, you know, again, this is a first-world problem because we want 2 nothing. you know, and I get that. Um, but I'm just curious to see if our tour comes back because lately – Vidal's been getting all the starting time for the for the kind of La Liga matches lately
1: yeah Laverde has really started to warm up to this midfield of Busquets Rakitic and Vidal rather than I mean there was a time there were a a few weeks in there where Arturo was getting all a lot of the starts and it seemed like he was the heir apparent and and he was really owning it of course then he seemed to get really exhausted so it could just be a matter of fitness and Valverde is just sort mm-hmm. of dealing with what he has. But I have to say, I think Vidal is putting in some really nice performances.
0: Yeah, I would agree too. You know, he's, he's definitely found his role. He knows what to do. Just give the ball to Messi. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, find Messi, just give them a the ball. You look great if you do that, right? So, But on top of that, his anticipation uh, for, for closing down on balls has been really good. And also he kind of gives us that little bit of a toughness in the midfield as well which i which i like as well. So, you know, that's that's also been good. But you know what what was also great about this match was that Rakitic was able to get a he was actually subbed off, right? Uh yes. No, he wasn't. He played the full 90 again. So, it was a trick <laughs> question. <laughs> all he all he wanted all he wanted for Christmas was to get subbed off and that did not happen. No. So again, Rakitic another full 90, but you know, like I said, the midfield is uh, always strong, especially with Busquets at the helm. Obviously when Busquets starts, it, he just, you know, he's so cerebral. He manages the, the attack and the defense. Uh, you know, I would like to see our tour get sprinkled in a little bit, of uh, playing time in the, in the second half of the season. So this leads me to my next thing, Brian, that we have a Coutinho problem.
1: Oh no. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 What's the Coutinho problem? Well, it's almost
0: like herpes, but less. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh, no, but seriously, because, you know, today when I was watching the news and just by reading just a couple things, you know, if Dembele plays basically now, Coutinho isn't playing and vice versa, right? And I feel that we are a stronger team when both Dembele and Coutinho are on the field, but then also that sacrifices something in our midfield. So I don't know how that's going to be, you know going forward but i think we i mean for me personally i think that we need both players especially in the second half of the season when the especially when the champions league and the la liga gets tougher as well
1: you know there was that one time because i i get exactly what you're saying especially when if Coutinho and Dembele are both playing on the same side and especially if that is on the left, because now you've got Alba Coutinho and Dembele and, and managing that and deciding, you know, who's going forward, who's lining up where, what are the roles, who's doing what, I mean, it's an awful lot of talent on one side, which sounds great, but it it becomes a question of how are we moving? How are we relating to each other? Who's, you know, who's doing what, what are the roles? And that seems to be an open question that Valverde can't seem to crack, so he just avoids it altogether. Now, on the other hand, a couple games ago, Coutinho came in as a sub and he played more centrally. He played in the middle rather than on any one side. And I thought that I mentioned this, I think last week, actually, that he didn't look brilliant, but at moments he did. Overall, it was it seemed like sort of half and half. But it seemed like an exciting prospect, you know. Almost uh, put him at the head of a diamond in the middle or something like that, rather than uh, pushing him off to one side and asking him to be, you know, more out on the touchline or out on the flanks, that sort of thing. Put him more centrally, and he can start to do some uh, some interesting and creative things. So that's what you do. That's my diagnosis for the Coutinho problem. Play him centrally. Okay
0: yeah yeah and some penicillin right that's the other thing too sure
1: (laughs) regular appointments
0: yeah yeah uh okay well yeah i mean the thing is i just like you said on the left side i just think that coutinho just needs more time to develop with whatever he's going to be doing as his role you know i just think that he's been changed around so much that he hasn't been able to get enough time in one spot to be able to get a lot of rhythm and practice you know just like we you know if we look at Vidal at the beginning of the season right he was put on the right side in that 4-4-2 and he looked like shit right he didn't know what he was doing he was completely lost and now he's been in the last like five matches or so on the left side in the 4 and he's filled and figured out what he needs to do and so just after repetition you just get more comfortable and you can just play I just th- I just feel like Coutinho hasn't got to that point yet I always feel like he's trying not to make mistakes And he's not really playing freely because he's always thinking about his spacing and his responsibilities. And that just comes to just picking a spot for him and just have him play in that spot repetitively so he gets used to his uh, teammates on what side and what they're going to do. And then he can just really we can really see his potential because if we don't use him going forward, I think that's just a waste of him being on the team and also just a waste of the potential goals that we can get from him as well.
1: Yeah, seriously. It's definitely a waste of talent to just have him warm in the bench. So you think it's a, it's kind of a Jack of all trades, master of none kind of situation with him.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, what what do we do if we, you know, if we have the four three, three, then, you know, you have to pick Dembele or Coutinho. Right. And so, maybe give Coutinho some more matches here and there and just see what he can. But I know that Dembele's been performing. He's on the left or the right. So it's it's been very hard for Coutinho to crack the starting lineup in the last couple of matches, especially with Dembele's scoring rate and his ability to be on the left side or the right side with both of his feet.
1: So how do you get Coutinho and Dembele both on the pitch? Like, How do you line up around that? Four, Four two, two, three, three one. one. Yeah, I knew Correct. it. Correct. <laughs> Why did I even ask? Did you, why did you ask? <laughs> it's like I, I don't talk to you every week. <laughs> I uh, he,
0: he set me up for that. I've heard of this formation, a uh, 4 two, 3 one Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I know that's the, my dream for this. Like, that, you know, for this lineup would be amazing because I just think it would create so much balance. And, uh, you know, with Messi giving that free flow and blow, and then we would still have the balance. But we're never going to do that. It's always going to be, like, even for a 3-5-2, I think that Coutinho could find a spot in a 3-5-2 because – he could be that kind of uh, midfield wing, but then you take off Vidal for that. You know what I'm saying? So again, Valverde just you know how he is. He's just he he follows the guys who are giving him the results in the last matches and he just rides them down. You know, and so right now he likes Vidal better than Coutinho and Artur. So they're getting playing time and Dembele has actually been showing up to practice on time. So he's getting more playing time, and so this is the
2: team that he's
1: running with yeah i haven't heard anything new about dembele uh, having any further disciplinary issues so that's good at least for the time being maybe after the holiday break or maybe next season after the summer it's gonna start all over again because you know he's young and yeah that's just how young that's how it is with the young the <laughs>
0: With the with the millennials, right? So if they if there's like a new expansion universe to Fortnite, you better be careful.
1: <laughs> yeah, know? but you know how it is. You know, like when when I was young, when you were young, you know, you'd you'd make a mistake, you'd do something wrong, someone would call you on it, maybe your parents or whoever. You'd straighten out for a little while and then you'd backslide a little bit and you know, and then eventually you grow up and you you do things a little bit better than you used to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I I also think the biggest thing, though, is that when they find him the 100K, I think that was a really kind of a wake-up call. And obviously, that might be an escalating uh, fine. So I just think that, you know, having the confidence of the teammates, you know, as you saw in the the first goal, how they celebrate with him, that they have faith in him because they know he's a great player or the potential to be a great player. So they know they need him. So and then maybe they all pitched in and got him a driver, too, as well.
1: Right. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So yeah, we're ending ending the uh this half of the season at the top of the league. Uh we're recording just as Sevilla is playing at the moment, so we don't know how that's going to shake out. I mean, either way, we're ending at the top of the table. Uh Madrid Atletico that is is still only 3 points behind, so it is a tight race and Sevilla even if they were to lose on Sunday still in, you know, in uh, striking distance with an entire other half of the season to go, but it's a great way to end this half of the season. So we got a nice little uh, holiday present from the boys. We can go on our on our holidays feeling good, feeling <laughs> warm and cozy inside from all their yeah, goals. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, it's true, right? We've, we finished strong. Um, that's what I wanted. I wanted to finish, you know, after the Champions League with Tottenham to get these six points of the last two matches just to really just kind of give us that confidence going into the break. And now we have this break. So hopefully the players can really... Get geared up for the second half of the season because, especially in February, it's going to be a lot of crucial matches going forward. That's going to tell us how the rest of the season is going to shape up. So, I'm really looking forward to that. But most importantly, Brian, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to all our fellow Kool Aids and listeners.
1: Yeah, and you or what, well. whatever holiday you. Yes. I'm, I'm a happy holidays guy.
0: <laughs> Me too. I will, I will start that again. Happy holidays to all the fellow Kool Aids and to you as well, Brian.
1: Yes. Thank you. And to you. And in two weeks, We'll be squaring off against Getafe. That's a, that's a nice, you know, comfortable way to kind of start off, kick off the second half of the season, don't you think?
0: Yes, it's a very nice way to ease into the second half of the season for sure.
1: Not that they're going to be easy necessarily, but, you know, we're not going up against one of the heavy hitters. the The game itself will be, you know, it'll be what it is. Don't be politically correct.
0: It's going to be easy.
1: <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, we are going to Madrid for this one, and so we'll be in that Getafe uh, stadium with their dating app. Yeah. And...
0: yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's not a four o'clock kickoff time because then, look out. That could be a really difficult game.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, happy holidays to you and everyone listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Barca Talk. Special thanks to Michelle Taylor this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. Visca Barca.
0: plus.